Hey, welcome to the Frenchie Plays Games podcast. It is the return of Frenchie. Hey, friends and gamers, thank you so much for joining to the Frenchie Plays Games podcast. Yes, I am Frenchie, and uh, I play games. And yes, I'm talking to this as the return of Frenchie. So we're going to be going on the journey and taking off into Frenchie's game journey again. So as we start this uh, journey and get ready to take off, I ask that you please return your board games to their original unboxed position. All right, so maybe that's a little bit of a joke, but if you're not grinning, then that's on you because the delivery was actually impeccable. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Frenchie is back. Frenchie had to take, so thank you. Anyway, let me let me jump back in by saying thank you all for listening. And for those of you who've listened to me in the past, thank you for rejoining. Frenchie had to take some time off for a lot of different personal reasons. Uh, some of that was health and uh, just a little bit of a mental break. But uh, I am back and ready to go. I'm back like a boomerang. Yes, as one may say. Hey, that reminds me. You know what the challenge is of buying a new boomerang? It's throwing the old one away. Anyway, moving on. So uh, so what I want to do is getting back into the content creation, getting back into what I am doing here on this channel. And so just a quick uh, up to speed for people who are new. So I'm a board gamer that has been around since... Well, long time. And I played board games since I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And uh, yeah, that might put a few years on me. But uh, hey, kid at heart at the end of the day. And uh, really the last 10 years really devoted into the modern board game hobby world. I'll be talking about some nostalgic games a little bit later on uh, to kind of help you see a little bit of what I see uh, with some new games coming forward. As well as kind of link a little bit some of my past with, uh, with what I talk about today. But anyway, uh, so I'll, I'll be talking about uh, typically games I've played, things I'm looking forward to, my experiences, and again, uh, the channel will continue to morph as I go. What my cadence is going to be for this channel is I'm going to be doing this in both audio and video formats. So I'm going to be re I'm going to be recording this uh, via audio as well as doing this on video, and then my plan is to publish the podcast in its entirety. And do that every other week and then take the video portion which I'm filming simultaneously and then chop that up in a little bit and, and scatter that throughout YouTube in that every other week period so you have some video more digestible uh, video content to have throughout those weeks so I think that'll be a manageable cadence that'll allow me some flexibility if I'm able to or not to be able to intersperse with some maybe other lists or some other content, maybe a quick review or whatever. And it's really about setting up a good cadence that Frenchie can maintain. So I want to have reliable content that you can rely on as a listener and a viewer and a subscriber, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, um, to uh, go ahead and rely on something new from this crazy guy who you're actually spending a little bit of time with today as well. So thank you that uh, you find me valuable or at least amusing to spend a little bit of your time with me. So with that going on, uh, let's go ahead and just kind of uh, ramp up. I'm not going to go into a lot of the hiatus that I took, but really want to get everybody into, hey, what has Frenchie been playing? Because let's just dive into the board games. We'll talk about things later as we go in subsequent episodes. So I'm just going to talk primarily about board games right now. 
And leading up to my top 10 list that I'll have, by the way, top 10 list that I have on every episode is actually going to be not a typical top 10 list of games, but a top 10 list kind of like some of the late night shows that you have seen throughout uh, throughout the years. So more to that you'll see towards the end of the podcast and towards the end of the video. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about games that Frenchie has played. Now, obviously, I took a hiatus, and I had a lot of catching up to do. And for those of you who are watching this on video, I'll kind of... So those are games plus the games below on the shelf that have just been trickling in because even if you are playing games or not, Kickstarters still come. Games still get released. Thank God, because that means that I have got some games to dive into, and I'm slowly making a dent in them, and uh, hope to catch them up in the coming couple of months. But uh, I'm going to talk about, uh, just list off pretty much some games that I have played uh, in the last few weeks. I'm not going to go over all of them, and then I'll highlight some games that I have played that I want to make a little mention of as well. Uh, So two games I'm going to just really briefly mention is... Uh, first of all, are games that I'm going to play every month, so I'm not going to bore everybody with the breakdown of these games or what these games are about, because I'll mention them often enough. So the first one is one of my all-time favorites, probably if not my all-time favorite, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. TI4 is a game that uh, just a sprawling 4X game from Fantasy Flight. Uh, my game group, I have a number of different groups and people that I play with. My core game group we meet once. Uh, we meet every week, and then f- a few of us will go ahead and fraction off the beginning of every month to play TI4 for the entire day. Uh, we did that a few weeks ago. We'll be doing that again. Uh, I'm doing this on Sunday, so uh, on Saturday. Uh, so in another six days, we'll be getting our monthly one for the beginning of September. And so uh, we'll be playing that, but I play that quite a bit. So that's a game that I've played, as well as War of the Ring. I've got a friend uh, just south. I live in Colorado. He lives the opposite end of Denver than I do, so I go down and we've been playing War of the Ring. It's a two-player game based on the uh, based on the uh, uh, Lord of the Rings um, books, and so uh, yeah, I can play to four players, but uh, I, it's a two-player game for the most part. I think that's where it's, it really sings and everything, and really one player playing the Free Peoples and the Fellowship and the Hobbits, the other one playing the Shadow People, where it's you know forces Saruman and Sauron. A lot of uh, dice, but dice action, but a lot of card-driven play as well. Really cool game. And so I've had three games under my belt, really loving it uh, quite a bit. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a subsequent episode as I talk about the game itself at some point. Um, Then I've played, I got back into playing Magic the Gathering, Commander particularly. And I do that only because my son, who lives on the East Coast, other states uh, plays that, and so uh, you know we that's something that we can do remotely. So he's pulled me back into that. Uh, I do not chase all the cards that people do, but it's just a good card game and something we do we we enjoy quite a bit. And so been uh, dabbling in that just a slight. Um, a few other games I have on my list: Super Mega Lucky Box, a flip and write game that I highly recommend by Game Right. It's kind of like a little bit like Sudoku and Bingo on steroids. It's a fun flip and write game. Uh, really enjoy it. Uh, brought that out. We've we played that a number of times uh, in my game group the last few years. Gutenberg is a newer game that uh, actually has been released in the States this year, but came out last year. I had an opportunity to play it late last year and then introduces some players this year when I got my copy. And uh, Solid Euro, yeah, it may look bland. The theme may not necessarily be rich and deep, but that game works within the theme very, very well. Game that I highly recommend and will probably have it highly ranked 
on my games for uh, for this year. A um, couple of party games or, or, or um, more casual games that I played, I introduced to our gaming group. One was So Clover. Uh, it's a game where you have a clover that you're actually going to be drawing cards. And each card has, uh, it's a square, so each card has four words on that. You put each of the cards um, on the clover and two of the words on the cards are going to, so you're going to have two cards that are going to be next to each other. On one side, you write a word that links to that, and you're going to have that on all four points of the clover because you're going to have eight words total. So you're writing four words, and you take the cards off. You go ahead and draw another card. Everyone, one at a time, reveals that, throws the cards out, and everyone has to figure out what the configuration is and guess the words. Uh, we played four consecutive games of that, had an enjoyable, enjoyable time, and I uh, think that's going to be a hit for my group as we go forward. I also introduced that same night Hibachi to a number of people, and that is a game. It's the same game as Safranito that I was introduced to a couple years ago, uh, which is a little more Latin, uh, you know, cuisine flair. This one is a little more based on Hibachi and Japanese cuisine. Same game. You're throwing chips on the board, covering up ingredients. The value of your chips will determine if you want to sell that ingredient to get money or buy that ingredient so you can fulfill recipes. A fun dexterity-style game, I guess you want to say. Nothing to really take too seriously, but a nice change of pace and, again, a good game to relax and enjoy with friends. Marvel Dice Throne came in uh, to uh, via Kickstarter. Uh, came in, was shipped a few weeks ago, was able to break that out. I enjoyed Season 1. I'm not chasing everything that they have, but really wanted to get the, the because of the Marvel IP. And I like what they did with that. I like how the characters, you know, Thor and, uh, and Black Widow, and uh, Captain Marvel, everybody has this unique flavor in that. So I thought they did exactly what I expected with the game. And I had a pretty high expectation of that. So Roxy Games did a solid with bringing that game out. Um, and then a couple of more games that I introduced to the uh, group. Uh, no Thanks. I didn't introduce that, but we've played that quite a bit in Just One. We've played that uh, in our game group, Just One where somebody's picking a word on a card that they don't see, but everyone else sees, and then everyone's going to write a clue, but no one can duplicate the clue. And so if there's clues that are duplicated, those people erase that, those clues don't factor in. What clues remain, that person has to guess the word from that. Always a winner. And then No Thanks, which is just a classic push-your-luck card game where you have a series of cards. Some of them have been removed, but you're going ahead and bidding on cards or passing, putting your chip in there, Taking those cards to have runs, you're going to score based on the lowest run. A game always works all the time. It does require some strategy. It is a little push your luck, but fun, fun games. And then the last game I'm just going to kind of do a quick skim across the pond mention is Unsettled from Orange Nebula. I've played this with my friend Chuck. We've done this remotely for most of the last uh, eight months, I believe. And we're on the last planet of the six planets that were included in the base game. And we got two more chapters to go. And just the writing and the gameplay, everything works so well in this game. Uh, very much one of my favorite games for 2021. And uh, I backed the Kickstarter when it was getting uh, new content. And so I'm going to get the entire base game with the original six planets and the new planets when that gets fulfilled next year. Can't wait, but it's been a blast. Uh, it's been a, a great game of cooperation and, and dice mitigation, risk mitigation, and really does well. And the narrative and the writing of the game really take it to that extra level. And I've just really been loving everything Orange Nebula has come up with. So 
brief mentions, but I want to dive into some other games that I have played that I thought are, are worth bearing mention. And uh, one of the things that I'm learning as I play games, I have games that I typically, I like the Euro games. I like the heavier, longer, epic games. Um, I like games that are maybe you know map-based strategy, troops on a map. And I'm trying to break out where I've been playing a lot more uh, party and war games and everything like that. Uh, playing games that uh, are a little different than what I would typically play. And so it's always nice to, to stretch your horizons. Uh, nothing to me is sadder than somebody who uh, plays only a few games and when nobody in their group wants to play the games that they want to play, then they kind of sit around and they mope and they pout and everything. That's no way to be, you know. Now, uh, you'll, we all fall into that and I'll tell you about a game in a little bit that uh, I fell into with that, but uh, that changed as I play the game a little bit. So, Frenchie, let's go ahead and talk about some of the games that uh, that I've played and give you a little more deep detail as we take a little bit of a second and Frenchie washes down a little iced tea to uh, wet the whistle and get the pipes ready for this next little bit. Okay. Ah, okay. Bio break for anyone who needs it. Okay. So here are the games that I've played in the last few weeks that uh, I would say uh, bear some neat mention. First one was a game that I would not have picked up nor played, but it was at the uh, end. We had just played So Clover. I had mentioned a little bit ago we had played uh, Hibachi, and so one of the gals at the table said, hey, I brought this game. I like to play it. Absolutely. Uh, it's not about me. It's not about any, any one of us. I'm not going to sit there and pout, although I fell a little prey to that and the next game we played I'll talk about that a little bit uh, so we played a game called Mantis Mantis is a card game by the publishers of Exploding Kittens now I've played Exploding Kittens a handful of times maybe three four times maybe five times and uh, I get the appeal of the game it's a hot potato style card game push your luck card game and uh, you know but I just didn't care for it because it was like eh you know um I don't know that I would readily play it. I mean, if there's absolutely nothing else, I'll go, yeah, let's go ahead and play that. Uh, but the artwork, and just it just didn't resonate with the style of gamer that I am. And so when I saw this game, I said, well, you know what? I'll just go ahead and play it. Let's, let's you know, give everybody a good experience. And so we brought this out. Now, this game, Mantis, is a game where you're going to have a deck of cards that you'll put in the center of the table. And the cards are going to be in seven different colors. So kind of think colors of the rainbow. So you have uh, red, uh, orange, yellow, pink. That kind of gets out of the Roy G. Biv spectrum of the rainbow, but bear with me here. So uh, then you have green and blue and purple. And then all the red cards have a single piece of mantis art. So all the red cards look the same, but they have a mantis that's drawn in a really funky uh, way. Mantis being like the praying mantis, the insect, just to give some reference here. And then, uh, you know, so then the yellow mantises all have the same artwork and everything like that. So the cards look pretty cool. Now, on the back of each card, and you're going to have the deck in the center of the table. And everyone's going to be dealt four cards that they're going to put face up in front of them. And, uh, you know, in, in separate uh, shingled rows, okay, uh, based on colors. So if somebody has four uh, different colors, they'll have four cards set aside. If they have uh, three different colors, but they have two cards of the same color, then they'll shingle one on top of the other, the matching the matching color. And uh, on the back of the cards in the center of the deck, on the back of all the cards, are going to be a circle with three colors, kind of like in a rainbow. And that's going to represent the color of that what that card could be. So of those three colors depicted on the back of the card, that card's going to be one of those three colors. 
So now you're going to have some guesswork because what you're going to do is you're going to take the top card and before you touch it, you're going to announce if you are going to score or if you're going to steal. And so if you score, you say, I'm going to score, you're going to then touch the top card and flip it up. And then what you're going to do is if it matches a, uh, a card in your color, then you can go ahead and either put it in your tableau or you can go ahead and score it. I think you need to score it, but uh, correct me if that's a variation of the rules. But basically, if it matches the card in your color, you're just going to go ahead and take that and you're going to flip it over and put it face down because you're going to be scoring points based on the number of cards that you score. And the game plays to the first person to get 10 points. More on that in a bit. Sounds simple, but we'll talk about that in just a little bit here. Now, if you don't have that color of the card that you just flipped, you're just going to put it down in your play area as a single card. Now, if you decide to steal, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to steal. Now you can go ahead and touch the top card, flip it up, and you're going to uh, flip it up. And then now, based on that card color, you're going to look at the other players and steal one player's cards of that color. So let's say that uh, Molly um, or Clint, uh, you know, flip up and it's a yellow card and Frenchie has three yellow cards. And they say, I'm going to steal. They flip it up. It's a yellow card. Frenchie's got three yellow cards. Well, I'm going to take all of Frenchie's yellow cards and Frenchie is going to be crying and moping for the rest of the game. No, because this game is a lot more fun than that. And so they're going to take that card that they flipped uh, and and uh, those cards that Frenchie had and are going to put that in their tableau. So now they have that yellow card plus the three cards that they stole from yours truly. And so the game will go back and forth on that, people scoring, people stealing and everything. And you'll see very quickly that it's pretty easy to get to two, four, five, six points. But then what happens is you start having these long trails of cards where somebody's got green cards and they've got like four of them or five of them or even six of them. And now people are trying to steal because you know what? You're at seven. If you flip over a card and it's green, you're going to win. I don't want to take that chance. You got a one and third chance that that card is going to be green because there's three colors picked it on there, but I'm not going to take the chance. So I'm going to try to steal. Hopefully this card's green and I can steal it from you before you get that. And so you'll see these piles of cards that people have. And you're going to see that they are, as Frenchie's now looking into the camera while I'm videoing this, I'm kind of looking at the mic, the camera's here. So now I'm actually focused on everyone. So you're going to have um, hey, humorous, humor me, everyone. Okay, this is not uh, this is amateur hour here. Okay, so anyway, so you know you're gonna so you're gonna see these piles navigate and float from people to people as people are trying to score these piles, and so everyone's like, you got purple, you're gonna be close to winning. Okay, I'm gonna steal. Yes, it's purple. I'm gonna take your cards, and so that's where you know the game seems easy, but then it starts to get a little tougher because these piles are getting stolen throughout the game. Uh, but the game does finish in a pretty uh, fairly good time. It doesn't go on ad nauseum where the piles just continue to float around. I'm sure there are some games where it goes a little longer than typical, but it really becomes a fun game. I like it. I like it far better than Exploding Kittens. I like it uh, really, really well. It's a game I will definitely play again. Uh, you know, I don't think it's the core of a game night, but a great game to start the night off or a game to finish the night off. Uh, Mantis by Exploding Kittens, that to me is a, is a fantastic game and I recommend it. So what's next on the list here? Age of Atlantis. Let's talk about Age of Atlantis, this game that just got fulfilled from Kickstarter. It's by Eldorado Games. Age of Atlantis is a game in which you have a map of Atlantis and uh, it is broken into 
quadrants, actually not quadrants, that's four. So it's eight, like the points on a compass, north, south, east, west, northeast, northwest, southeast, southwest, uh, octants. Anyway, so it's it's a round circle of the of the city of Atlantis, and uh, you have the game broken, the, the board broken up into grids in in these eight slices of, of the compass, and I think you have a center city area. And what players are doing is they're going to be activating these cubes. They're not dice per se, but they're cubes to place uh, workers on the board. And those workers will either be citizens that will be uh, devoted into the inner city and the wall part of Atlantis, or then uh, troops that are going to be in the outer parts of Atlantis. This game is somewhat reminiscent of Castle Panic, where during the game there will be cards that are turned up, which will be invading hordes like the Romans or the Celts or the Persians, and uh, you're going to have to go ahead and deploy uh, troops out on the map to go ahead and conquer and defeat them before they penetrate the inner city. Uh, you're doing this all the while trying to mitigate the potential for flood and game effects that do that and flood tiles as well. So how you're going to be deploying everybody is you're going to be taking these cubes and so they're going to have uh, faces, either two faces or one face, and then they're going to be in different colors. The lighter color means that there's good morale and so your people are gladly to work, but then the black means that there is low morale, which means you've overworked them. And so you know, you'll have a die that will have, let's say, two uh, workers and uh, you can take that from two workers to one so I've done an action take it down and then if I want to take a second action then I will take it down again now I've overworked my workers and so now they're going to be the, the I'll take that down that die down again it'll be black which means now I have to contend with the fact that there's low morale so couple that with the uh, statue in the middle there will be a statue in the middle of Poseidon and so a nice tall sculpture eight or nine inches or whatever like that, with a trident pointed in one direction. And so you're going to be rolling these eight-sided dice, meaning that there's uh, there's three eight-sided die in the game. You'll be rolling one throughout the game, and that is going to determine which direction Poseidon is going to be pointing the trident. And so that is going to be the direction in which he is going to offer blessing. And so if you take an action in that, in that section, then you'll get a free action without having to tax your uh, citizens. Now the troops get deployed on the outer part of the board and they can go ahead and thwart the effect of everything. But a neat thing that happens in this game as well is that you have, uh, they look like mechs but they're called myths uh, to try to keep with the theme of this mythological city of Atlantis. And so those will go on the board but they can only be moved by placing a troop die or a troop cube in there and then moving around kind of activating them. It creates a neat little game where you're doing a little bit of engine building because you're going to have resources on a player mat and you're going to be trying to uh, have that to uh, continue to uh, increase what you're able to do round to round. But then you're also going to have these cards being put on the board. These cards can give you some bonuses, but most of the time they're going to be threats that you're going to need to go ahead and contend with, all the while trying to protect Atlantis. Some people might call it a semi-cooperative game because you're working together to prevent the city from being attacked, but you're solely trying to win and get points and everything as well. So to me, in that regard, it's a little like Lowlands, where Lowlands, uh, you know, the game that I think was consulted on by UA Rosenberg, but it's a UA Rosenberg style game where you're in the Netherlands and so you're trying to build a dike to prevent the rising tide from permeating your fields, washing away all you're trying to do for sheep production. Um, but every player is, is basically playing against every other player, but there is a little bit where you have to work towards. Same thing here. Now, unlike Castle Panic, where 
that is a full cooperative game, although you could do a semi-co-op. Um, I've never played that that way. Uh, this game is more designed towards everyone's trying to do that, but you do have to work together towards a common goal. Great game. It is not a Castle Panic style game, and I just want to clarify that it has reminiscence of that, but it's a game in its own right. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I uh, played that with my friend Chuck. We both had a copy of the game, so we were able to stage that up virtually. So we got a physical copy in front of us while we're playing the game. And it was a blast. And I really uh, liked this. I had high hopes for the game, backing it. But I also had some hesitancy in backing it. And uh, it's met my expectations so far. And I think with subsequent plays, it'll start to slowly exceed my expectations. But I do not have any buyer's remorse. So that is Age of Atlantis from El Dorado Games. Frenchie says, uh, check it out. I think you'll you'll enjoy that. Okay. I had to get another sip of iced tea. Still hot here in Colorado. It's upper 80s, so I'm not having coffee. But it'll cool off soon enough. We've already got mountains that have uh, getting snow on the peaks because of where we are in the Rockies. So, yes, we are, uh, we're ready for that turn in, in the weather. Okay. Anyway, let's get back to gaming, shall we? Speaking of climate... Uh, I played a game that I really wouldn't typically play. Uh, I've just never been attracted to this game or its predecessor. And uh, as I look back in the camera again here. Um, so anyway, so I've never really had a, a, an inclination to play Evolution or Evolution Climate. A few weeks ago, a few people were going to play it and they said, you want to play that? And I said, you know what, let me go ahead and do that. Because again, I'm trying to expand Horizons and play different games. And so we played Evolution Climate. Now, I've never played Evolution, so I don't have a reference point for what that game is. But Evolution Climate is a game where you're going to be uh, creating species, playing a card of a different species, and you'll be evolving that species by doing different things to maybe add a shell or maybe make it a little more migratory um, or do different things. And maybe it can adapt in colder or warmer weather. And so you're playing these species and then sometimes these species can feed off each other where they can protect each other by their proximity or because of, uh, you know, some of the different characteristics. And so as you're doing this, you have on the board a track that has, uh, you start off with a center of a temperate climate, but the climate can go one way or the other. It can, can continue to get warmer and hotter, which means that that's going to impact certain species. So the bigger species are not able to endure the heat like the smaller species. And so they'll be more susceptible to dying off and getting extinct. And then the colder that the climate gets, if it starts getting into colder towards an ice age, is when the uh, smaller species won't be able to survive. And so they'll die off the largest species. Think woolly mammoth would be a little more hardy, a little more able to do that. But then when you get into the extremes, every species is going to be in danger. And so you have this where you're playing cards to help move the climate where you need it to have to help you with the cards that you're playing because you're trying to score points based on how you're creating your species and how you can maybe go ahead and, and you can go ahead and prey on species from other players uh, and having enough food to feed them and, and increasing their size. It's a lot of resource management, a lot of engine building in that as well. I liked it. The pure mechanics of the game. I even like the color of the board and uh, how everything worked. And so I was glad that uh, I, w I said, you know what, I'll go ahead and play it. Walked away, very favorable impression of the game. One that if I'm asked to play again, I'll say, yeah, let me go ahead and do that again. Uh, it I, Again, I love the, uh, the mechanics of your cards and building up your 
different species and playing off of those and sometimes the proximity again of the species and being able to be very methodical of how you lay out those cards and being able to go ahead and prey on maybe your opponent's uh, species and wipe out those species all the meantime while you're trying to mitigate the climate creates a lot of different layers that I like in a board game and it was not a linear experience but a pretty good layered experience overall. So Evolution Climate is now uh, one of Frenchie's uh, more favorable games that I will readily play and glad that uh, I decided to take the plunge. Now here's a game that I was introduced to a couple weeks ago and was astonished that this game became a game that's published with the IP or the trademark or the license uh, that it has. And, uh, and I'll explain a little bit more later, I guess. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So this game is uh, called USPS, which is United States Postal Service, The Great American Mail Race. So my friend Joe brought this game in and wanted to play it. And he said, hey, um, you know, I saw this on, I think Watch It Played had a video and said, uh, and I picked up a copy. I said, okay, let's go ahead and do that. And uh, so we set it up and we got a couple of other people to play. And it's a game where you have the map of the United States and your job is as a postal courier to get letters and parcels from point A to point B. And so the map of the United States uh, now, first of all, the game aesthetics don't look great by by any means. And the production is a decent production overall. But the uh, the game really is very much Americana. And so I think the style of the art and everything like that definitely meets that. Excuse me. And uh, as I drank my ice a little too fast. So... Um, so the style of the game meets Americana, and again, I think just kind of the history of the Postal Service and where it's been and where the Postal Service has peaked kind of lends to that time frame. So the map is divided into four different sections of the United States. You break it down west section, south, I think it was midwest, northeast, and then those sections are, are a little bit different color, a very pastel color with, a, with kind of a beige board background and everything. And then you're going to have these different, and I wouldn't even call them cities, but towns that are interspersed throughout the game board. And so these towns actually are towns that uh, are just really quirky names that you would not expect, such as Dull, Ohio, or Stop Choppy, Florida, or Why Not, um, or OK, Oklahoma, Chugwater, Wyoming, things like that. So throughout, so there are obscure towns that you're going to see, Woonsocket, New, uh, Rhode Island, or Happy Corner, uh, New Hampshire, which I didn't even know existed up on the Canadian border, so not far from where I grew up. Who would have thought? And so you're going to have, uh, each region's going to have cards that you're going to flip over, and those are going to represent letters or parcels that people are going to be able to, to uh, grab. And so in each region, you're going to have a core center circle, which will be the main postal center, I guess. And you're going to go ahead and say, okay, I want to go ahead and get this to Why Not, which I think is in the Carolinas or Mid-Atlantic. And so I'm here in the uh, Midwest. So I'm going to pick up the parcel. And I'm going to deliver this over into Why Not, so I've got to go ahead and, and get there. So the routes on the board are going to be kind of three styles of routes. There's going to be road routes, in which you can go ahead and take a bicycle, motorcycle, mail van, everything over the road routes. You have trails, which you can do by foot or by Pony Express. And then you have water routes, which you can do by boats. And then also there will be air travel that you can do by either a um, 
a, uh, what do you want to call it, airplane. I'm thinking the rocket ship. There's a rocket ship one, which, okay, maybe trying to be futuristic here. But it would allow you different avenues to get from A to B. And so your job is you're going to have cars, and these cars will say like bicycle moves one space or motorcycle moves two spaces or a van. And, or the rocket can move from any plane space to any other plane space. Um, or a Pony Express moves two spaces along the trip. And so you're going to have to try to get from the different iterations and the different trails and the different paths from A to B to deliver it. Now, when you do that, you'll be able to score the card. And I'll talk about the scoring uh, for this because I think it's one of the neater parts of the game. So what you're doing is uh, you're trying to get the package from A to B, but there's going to be a little bit of take that in this game. So what can happen uh, is players, as they pass by, and no player can be on the same space as another player, but as you pass by playing the cards, and let's say I'm moving three spaces and I'm going to go ahead past Joe, I can go ahead and I can take his letter or his parcel off of his van, put it on my van, and now I can go ahead and get that parcel to its destination and score points. Likewise, if Joe is passing by me and I have a parcel or a letter and he passes by me, he can actually put that on his, or excuse me, let me, let me back up here, because uh, that's the same thing I just said, right? A little deja vu here, Frenchie. So being able, so Joe, let's say he's got a package and he's like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to get there. So he can actually drive by me and dump the package onto me. So you can pick up an opposing player's package or you can dump it on someone else and encumber them with the responsibility of getting that there. So as you're doing this, you're trying to go ahead and uh, and deliver packages to score points. You also have a little postcard token, so you can pick up a postcard and get them delivered as well and score points. And the scoring of the points is really neat. So there is this little strip of paper, score pad, that each player is going to have. And as you deliver a letter, you're going to mark that off on your score pad, and you'll have increasing points with each letter that you deliver, with each parcel, postcards as well. Um, as you deliver to the different regions, if you hit all four regions, there's bonuses. There's bonuses if you pick up a parcel and you're able to deliver it in one trip on the same day uh, or deliver in your home region uh, or deliver a post, uh, uh, one that says fragile. There's some mitigation to that. And then how you score on this is there's going to be a little mailbox. It's a stamper that is the shape of a U.S. Postal Service mailbox. And you're going to go and stamp just kind of like you're stamping a package. Click, click. Here you go. And you're going to stamp that that scorecard. It may seem gimmicky. I think it's a cool game. Now, some people do liken this to a Ticket to Ride style game. I agree. It's kind of that. I think it's a little bit lighter than that, but it has some neat strategy. I think it's a neat little game uh, to go ahead and play for casual game night, families, uh, maybe break it out or retreat, go camping or whatever. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but in, involves a little bit of, of that card usage and how to best do that. There's a little bit of take that, like I said, so if you're averse to that, you may not enjoy this game, but I think most people will be fun. Hey, Dad, come on, you took my package, whatever, but knowing that my kid's going to go ahead and swipe a letter from me and deliver it and win the game on that move, it just creates some neat little things. It's now available. I saw it at Target earlier this week, of all things, uh, but I think part of that is Target's really put a, brand, a lot of brand new games in there, and they just did a kind of a nationwide clearance sale here in the States to clear up some of the back catalog of games. And I saw this and other games like Planted and Isle of Cats that are starting out to uh, proliferate the shelves. And uh, so the fact that it's there and it has a USPS license on it from the U.S. Postal Service means that they put some thought and money into this and expect to sell quite a few copies. And I think on a mass market appeal, it'll do well. 
Um, a game I'm not going to seek out, but a game that I enjoy it. I'll play it every once in a while for a change of pace. And uh, I think it's a game that's going to be around for quite a while. You know, it's not going to have an evergreen appeal, but I think it's a game that's going to be around for a number of years and bring enjoyment to people. So that's the Great American Mail Race. Okay, last game here. Uh, I had mentioned in my game group that uh, there, there was a game that I played that, uh, you know, there's, there's a type of people that when no one wants to play the games that they want to play, they kind of open palp. We're all human. We all fall into different things that we, you know, hey, you know what? Yeah, that's I totally despise that type of person, and yet we all manifest that ourselves. And so uh, I played a number of different card or party games throughout this particular night. We were recapping. And uh, I'm like, I haven't really played a really meaty game and everything. And so uh, our host, Amy, she brought out the game Anomia, which uh, my friend Ryan had told me about. And uh, I was curious, but I really didn't want to play it. I didn't have much of a desire to play it when Ryan talked about it a few weeks ago. And I begrudgingly played it. And immediately played it with a little bit of like, yeah, I really don't want to play this game. And so I kind of prejudiced the game uh, by going, oh, this game stinks and everything like that. But I'll tell you a little bit more about how that changed my mind as we go. So Anomia is a game of cards in which you have cards that will have a symbol on that. Now, I won't talk much about the symbol just yet, but I'm going to talk about there's also going to be words on that. So those words will be color, pet, last name, astronaut, clown, brand of shampoo, which Frenchie does not know much about shampoo, as on the video I just revealed my scally cap to a nice, uh, you know, lack of hair head. Um, different things like that. And so as these cards are being, so everyone's going to take a card, put it face up. And, uh, you know, players are going to be thinking about, okay, what's a shampoo brand that I need to be aware of? Or what's a famous address or a traffic sign or a color or a last name or a situation comedy? And once a card is turned up, because players are going to go in order, you know, okay, turn up a card. Here's what it is. Everyone kind of thinks. Next player goes. Once a card is turned up that matches the symbol of a card that's face up, because as you go around the table, the new card that you are going to uh, pick up is going to go over your top card. So it's only the top face up card that's really going to be valid and active. And so when the card that you turn up matches a symbol that matches another player, then those two players have to go ahead and say the word that's on their opponent's card. Uh, and whoever says that first gets to take that card. So for instance, uh, if you go with color and traffic sign, if uh, if Molly has color and I turn up the card and it says traffic sign uh, and the symbols match, then Molly's going to have to say a traffic sign card before a uh, traffic sign before I say a color. So if she says yield before I could say red, then she's going to, it doesn't matter what I say, I could say orange, but she's going to go ahead and take that card and put that in her pile. Now, the card that's revealed that's underneath, if I have cards below that, if that matches another symbol, then myself and another player will go ahead and uh, do the same thing. So you do that until there's no more. Now there's also wild cards involved. And so the wild cards will connect two symbols. So maybe a symbol with the purple scraggly lines and then the blue extra thick hashtag shows up. So instead of matching symbols, those two symbols, when they're there, will go ahead and connect and do the same thing. And then as that card pulls out, there could be a chain reaction. So it took me, I would say, maybe two rounds of the table to figure out that, you know what, this game actually is kind of fun. And I enjoyed the game as we went on and walked away going, that was a fun game. And here's why I like Anomia. Anomia is a game that creates an organic state of fun. 
because there's a little bit of speed there because you're trying to do that. There's always a laughter. Uh, one thing that I'll mention in just a little bit, one thing that I... Uh, don't like about games is when they try to force humor on you. They try to force a style of play. Like, I didn't like Shazen because it's trying to force political discourse on you and it failed because the game was really going to be a resource grab and you could totally circumvent the challenge to that. Now, if players wanted to play that game and had that political discourse, that's fine. Uh, like other cards uh, or other games that, that you try to have or it tries to force irreverence or just uh, silly humor or adult humor or just try to be you know, try to create a, an atmosphere. Uh, this game does not force it. Anomia doesn't force it. The simple mechanics of the game lends itself to a very organic fun and trying to understand things and be able to understand pop culture or what are people thinking or just trying to be at the ready. And so the game works very well, I think, in most everybody's setting, regardless of the mix of players. Uh, unlike other games that try to force it by trying to be a little too silly or try to steer conversation in a different direction or try to get a, just a hilarious response, this game does not do that. And I think that's why this game has been around for, if I look here, since 2010. So it's been around for 12 years. And... I think it shows it shows up on, on some content creators' uh, top 10 or top 100 lists. Uh, it's ranked 1680 on Board Game Geek. So the fact that this game has been around for a while and creates that and continues to create that, and obviously there's you know with any good game there's tends to be spinoffs and expansions, whatever. Uh, that tells me that this game uh, does what it needs to do and does it quite well, and I have to agree with that. So Anomia rounds out the games that I've played that I want to give a little attention to. A uh, fun game, I recommend it, and I rate a little higher than uh, what BGG ranking is, 6.7. I'm giving it a 7. I may lean towards a 7.5, uh, but I definitely want to play it uh, second and third time and continue to uh, to see how it is with different folks, but I think it really hits a nice sweet spot. Just well-designed game that doesn't try to force things and allows the players to create the hilarity uh, and the fun and the speed and the pace of the game uh, just by how they want to play so we'll pause on that and we'll come back with some other other segments from Frenchie in just a moment. All right, Frenchie looks like he's going along with the podcast, but hey, I'm making up for lost time. So you all get the benefit of, of me storing up a lot here. I'll figure out the time frame for the podcast and everything, but that's why I'm going to chop up this in video segments. And uh, man, I'm just getting into another rabbit hole. Welcome to Frenchie's world. All right, so I'm going to talk about uh, three games, and I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail of them, but I want to go into three games that I want to mention because these games to me uh, represent a great deal of nostalgia in varying degrees, but they I lump them together in nostalgia uh, because they're games that have been reflective of either my, my early gaming days in the 80s as a teenager and, and the culture and the pop culture there. And then one game that was released in the early 2000s, which was just at the advent of me starting to get into the modern board game hobby proper. But to me, the game is reminiscent of those other two games that I played back in the uh, you know late 80s and, uh, and early 90s. So now these are games that are coming through a reprint as well. And so there's a little bit of excitement. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Let's start in by going in with the games and telling you a little about them. So as a child in the States, uh, you know, in the 80s, you know, there was the Saturday morning cartoons. Wake up early in the morning and you get to the TV before your sister um, 
because I knew that she was going to hog the TV. And uh, no offense to my sister, by the way. And then being able to, uh, you know, watch the shows that you wanted to watch. And so, you know, you, you had like, you know, back then you had Smurfs. You had your typical like superhero. You had your typical uh, different cartoons. But then in the 80s, you started seeing the cartoons that were getting a little more fantasy and sci-fi. He-Man and Masters of the Universe. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons and everything. And of course, as, you know, American uh, commercialism became pervasive in this and a lot of these cartoons were created to basically spearhead merchandise and everything because how else are you going to get mom and dad's hard-earned money but get the kids to not shut up about this latest toy they saw until mom and dad buy it and shut their little brats up of which i was definitely one at the time anyway i'm, I'm sorry i probably shouldn't have said little brats but i was okay um anyway so um anyway going into uh just lost my train of thought here all right i want to try to be polite and respectful but anyway so uh, and, and no fault of that. It's just that was just the business model back then. But anyway, I saw a lot of different games. And of course, one of the games that was featured quite a bit on these commercials on Saturday morning was Dark Tower. Dark Tower was published by, I want to say it was Milton Bradley, if I, if I remember correctly. And it's a game where you had this tower and it beeped and it was reminiscent of that style of electronics back in the 80s. And so you had kind of the hollow tones, uh, even though there's different pitches, it would spit out these skulls. You're going through a map playing these different cards and everything. And so restoration games, uh, true to what they try to do with trying to get great games that just need a little bit of reimagination or an update to, to have some relevance in the modern board game hobby, brought that forth. They had a Kickstarter a couple years ago, and then that was fulfilled this year, and their game Return Dark Tower uh, has now had a nice place uh, on Frenchie's shelf and uh, started playing it a couple of times solo just yet because I want to uh, find out exactly what the meta is of the group that I'm going to play it with. Uh, and I like it. I like the game quite a bit. Now, this game that, that got fulfilled this year has announced a uh, an expansion, the Covenant expansion, expansion that is coming out for the game. And uh, by the way, just for context, Return to Dark Tower. Dark Tower was a, a series of novels written by Stephen King that got into more of the fantasy genre. Uh, and a number of novels that he wrote with that with a Western theme. Uh, I'm not saying it's nothing like Firefly. So don't, So if, you, if you're a Firefly fan never heard of Dark Tower, it's not the same. It's a little more earthy, a little more post-apocalyptic. But it has really had a nice fan base as that. Um, and so the game kind of encapsulates a little bit and really does in this iteration that Restorations came uh, to bring out in the last year. And then they've created the Covenant expansion, which is going to introduce more heroes and introduce some, uh, what are they called here as I scroll through? The um, heroes, the monuments. So there's actually going to be 3D sculpted monuments that are going to populate the board as well, plus additional tre uh, treasure cards and uh, some corruption cards as well, some wasteland tokens, a few other cool things. And uh, what I like is that uh, Restoration Games, and I like it when there's a Kickstarter that comes out, maybe not everyone backs it, and then people wish they back it when the publisher goes ahead and does an expansion for that game, and they open it up saying, hey, we're not only going to put out the expansion, but if you didn't back the first Kickstarter, we're going to open it up, and now you have an opportunity to get the core game. Uh, or whatever you want that was limited beforehand, I appreciate that. And I think it's great that a lot of publishers do that uh, to allow more people to share the game that maybe I didn't want to spend the money, maybe I didn't have the money, maybe I wanted to wait and see what the reception was. And to me, I think it's a great game and definitely reminiscent of the game that I was familiar with back in the day. I think it's a little more streamlined, more fun to play this year. So Return to Dark Tower 
is is one of these three nostalgic games that has getting a second life that uh, I definitely like. And uh, I'm excited for this. And I would say that there's going to continue to be more expansions coming out. And uh, props to Restoration Games for doing this. And I'll talk a little bit about the summation of where I'm going with these three games after I go through the other two. So the next one is a game that uh, if you've ever had buyer's remorse when you buy a game and then you're like, you know, that game sucks. Absolutely. You know, it's just a horrible game. If you ever had that, uh, welcome to the club. There's also seller's remorse too. Where you have a game, you know, I don't really play this game much and I just have it because, well, it's got sentimental value or, or you know, maybe maybe I just, maybe there's other games that I'd rather play and everything like that. And then you sell it and then you have the same remorse. You're like, I wish I never sold that game. I wish I still had that. And so this game for me fits that bill and that's HeroQuest. Now I had the original HeroQuest. Again, HeroQuest was a product of the 80s where in parallel to Dungeons and Dragons and uh, some of the... I would say ambivalence that some parents had with the satanic panic and things that were unfounded with what uh, D&D brought at that time. The uh, Hero Quest was a way to bring a D&D experience to a board game and kind of not really backdoor that, but be able to have an avenue to have a similar experience in the fantasy setting prevalent. It was it was a joint collaboration between Milton Bradley and Games Workshop. And of course, with everything that uh, goes on sometimes, you know, licenses and everything. And that game remained dormant. And so I had an old copy that, uh, you know, I had sold uh, just two years ago. And uh, that musty smell, which uh, was a blessing to get out of my game closet, but also a, um, uh, you know, a little bit of remorse because oh, that just harkened back to the memories uh, that I had back in the day. And so when Hasbro announced it through their Hasbro Pulse uh, platform, they were going to bring out Hero Quest and the two original expansions. Booyah! Absolutely got that and was able to uh, see that come into my my ready, uh, readily outstretched paws uh, as it arrived this year. And lo and behold, I had mentioned a couple of years ago, I was really banking on uh, Hasbro. Do right by us. Uh, you know, make do something with this game. A lot of people were a little disparaging because it was just merely a reprint of the game. They were expecting there to be new content. They were expecting that maybe there would be a little bit of rules revision or whatever like that. And Hasbro just published the original game, you know, obviously in a much better box, I think, and much better components. And they published those those two main expansions, not the Advanced Hero Quest expansions, but the Hero Quest expansions. And so uh, they did that. And now what I was hoping would happen is coming to light. Now they've got two expansions that are coming out too. Now I don't know. There's a there's a website called Ye Old Inn, uh, which is a Hero Quest fan based uh, website, and it has everything. It talks about the Advanced Hero Quest stuff, which was kind of like a whole new game in itself with a lot of core basics from Hero Quest. It's fan made stuff. So I don't know if any of this exists from that because I haven't spent too much time on that site. But there's two expansions. One is a Hero expansion, and it's the Rogue Air of Elethorn, and that is uh, going to create a new hero uh, with their own cards and a story card. Um, and so you'll have another hero that you can go ahead and incorporate into your hero quest quests. And then the next expansion, be beyond the two main ones, uh, the two older ones that were reprinted when uh, Hero Quest was reprinted and shipped this year, uh, is the Frozen Horror. And that is an expansion where it takes place in a frozen dungeon horror type thing. And you have different monsters such as an evil Frozen Horror. And 
uh, Barbarians, and hold on, I had it right here too. Ice Gremlins, Polar War Bears, Yetis. I think that's so cool. So uh, I've already pre-ordered those. I think uh, one of them is going to be showing up. I don't remember which one uh, in September, and then the other one's going to be showing up, I think, towards the end of 2022. So really excited. Now this is published under the Avalon Hill um, uh, game, uh, the Avalon Hill division of Hasbro. Uh, so I'm excited that Hasbro has taken these steps towards that. And yet another game alongside with Dark Tower that is having a resurgence with a modern board game group but gives nostalgia to us old school players. And that brings me to the very last one that, again, I had seller's remorse on this as well. But uh, this game is a game that I think people would never thought had been published because of the cost uh, to produce it, uh, all by all means, seems to be prohibited. Now, that remains to be seen because uh, we have yet to really get any details. But in Gen Con, which I wasn't able to participate, but watching a lot of the Gen Con stuff that was released, uh, they there was a, tra a teaser trailer from Avalon Hill, and Heroescape is coming back with Heroescape Age of Annihilation. Now, there's only a short little video, and... I've looked. I don't know that there's much detail. I think some people have written some articles on some detail. But Heroescape is back. And for those of you who don't know, Heroescape was a game published in the early 2000s. Um, and I remember buying my son the Marvel set too. But basically it's 3D hex terrain that's interlockable. So you can create these different tiers. And then you had, uh, you know, there was, the, there was that. There was also a D&D. &D, but the core of Heroescape was all these different monsters and fighters and warriors from ages across the universe coming here and having a battle and there's cars and different powers and uh, a cool line of sight uh, style mechanism that you had for lining up line of sight and it was really cool it was just a beast because the components because they were 3d plastic terrain took a while to set up took a while to tet down took up a lot of storage as well I had a couple of very very large totes that i had uh, and uh, after I sold it, because I didn't play it, I played it with my son quite a bit, played it with his uh, step-siblings, played it with uh, some of their friends as well, mostly played it with uh, with kids, but it was a cool game, and I know that uh, on Gen Con, I think they have a hero-scape area uh, that they have designated in the Lucas Oil Field Stadium uh, to play just hero-scape. There's a, there's a small portion of that that's dedicated to that. So here we are. Now, it sounds like the uh, terrain is not going to be painted. I'm not sure about the Miniatures, just a little bit I see here, uh, is gray. Uh, I'm trying to remember the teaser that I saw a few weeks ago. But another game from the past, and not nearly going far back, is Hero Quest and, and Return to Dark Tower or Dark Tower. But that's coming back. That gives me some nostalgia. And so what I like about the fact that these publishers, now one is obviously Restoration Games and two by Avalon Hill, is that they're taking games that go back 20 35 years or whatever, and bringing them back to a modern board game hobby uh, population, but with people that are, are fans of the game that they remember with great memories from 20, 30, 35 years ago to bring it back to a modern audience. So I think it helps link an old-style gamer like me. I'm going to be cautious because I'm young at heart. Um, but And then also taking a, a, a newer modern audience and say, hey, I remember playing this game. You ought to play it. And trying to connect generations uh, to me, and now I don't know that that's necessary. Obviously, you want to you want to sell a game because it's going to sell, and then it has to resonate with an audience. So whether the intention is to draw generations of gamers together may or may not be a conscious decision on their part. But Frenchie could care less because I'm excited. Now I've already got two of them. I've got the Hero Quest, uh, you know, from what they published right now, 
in order. I've done the same thing with Return to Dark Tower, and I've, I've, back, I've kick-started, backed the expansion coming out. So now I'm just waiting to see more information on HeroScape and what's going to happen. But that's what I like. I like that some of these older games are getting reprints, are bringing back generations. I'm starting to see that even with some of the board games from the earlier uh, aspect of modern board gaming. Uh, you have Lagrange that has a reprint. A few of the other board games that are getting reprints, not necessarily reskins, but reprints because, hey, you know, those are hard to come by. Let's bring them out. They're still great games. Let's get a modern audience staring at people that have been playing modern board games for 20 years or so can go, hey, yeah, I remember this game brought a lot of great memories, and so let's go ahead and publish it. So kudos to these publishers. Uh, that brings a lot of happiness and a lot of nostalgia to Frenchie. And uh, I'm going to take another short break, and I'll come back with a couple of games that I want to mention on two ends of the spectrum, a stinker and a star for the week. So Frenchie's going to talk about a, uh, a couple of games. I'm going to do this on a regular basis. I'm going to talk about a stinker of the week and a star of the week. And so these are two games I'll focus on a little bit more as we go. But anyway, so the stinker of the week is going to typically be a game that fell flat of expectations or a game that just absolutely stunk. No good. Don't recommend it. Maybe it's a game that didn't resonate for me. It might be good, but eh, it doesn't fit Frenchie's style of play. And then the star of the week is a game that I want to highlight in a lot of favorability because of what it does. So let's start off with the stinker of the week. So my stinker of the week actually is an expansion, and I'll explain more about the, the expansion in this aspect, um, of one of my favorite games of all time. Back in 2019, uh, the first and only year I've been to Gen Con so far, uh, I was introduced to Marvel Champions Living Card Game. And I had my son Gage with me, and I said, you know what, I'm all in. You know, because I love the Lord of the Rings card game. It's a similar play style in that, but it really took the, the different traits of the different heroes and applied them differently, and each hero played differently. And I knew right then, boom, I'm in, and I have literally, to this day, bought everything from that. I've got all the deluxe expansions. I have all the hero packs, all the scenario packs. Good, 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 good. And I love the fact that we started very Avengers heavy because that was the thing with Endgame and everything like that. We were wrapping that up and then we had uh, about a year where we started doing a foray into the Spider-Verse with the Senator, Sinister, Senator, Senator, okay, um, Sinister, I'm mixing my merds here, Sinister Motives expansion and then some of the other hero packs that back that up, uh, except for this last one. So this last one is Spider-Ham. And this is my stinker of the week. Now, I understand that Spider-Ham is an actual comic book, apparently, that Marvel has uh, has written. And uh, it's very cartoonish and everything. And really, the character is Peter Porker, a pig who, in an alternate you know, Marvel Universe, whatever like that, whatever the, that Earth number is, uh, who got bitten by a radioactive spider, has spider abilities with a limitation of a pig. I understand why comics get written like that. Uh, for humor, change of pace... Uh, broaden their scope to a younger audience. Totally get it. That's just not for me. Not that I really have been in comic books for a long, long time, but you know I still follow a little bit of storylines and everything. And so I understand Fantasy Flight having the IP for Marvel to go ahead and put this particular character into the living card game. To me, it doesn't fit. Um, and because I'm a serious gamer and I'm playing these these make believe heroes for a reason i'm kidding okay a serious gamer this meaning like okay yeah but you're playing with comic book heroes and a card game frenchie hello uh this is not real world well that's why we play games right anyway 
so but this character did not fit into what I wanted to do um, now let's break it down a little bit I want to be very fair to fantasy flight and very fair to what's there um, so in these hero packs, you have 15 cards besides the hero alter ego card that are designated. They're specific. So, you know, if you have She-Hulk, she's got 15 cards. Spider-Woman, Doctor Strange, there's 15 cards. Um, and there's exceptions. Like Doctor Strange has a separate five-card invocation deck. Excuse me, which I think is fantastic. He's one of my favorite characters to play. In fact, I love pairing him off in Spider-Woman. Um, but anyway, and then you have all the other cards that you use to build your deck. And so they come out with pre-constructed decks with additional cards you can fold in. But again, you can go ahead and deck build throughout the game with different things over time. Um, and for the most part, now other than the the flavor text and the artwork, which I'm like, eh, okay, no problem. You know, the mechanics of the cards are fine for the most part. However, you know, there's two things. There's the trait that they have. So you might have like on cards that have been published so far you might have uh, traits that say avengers okay so that means any card with the avenger trait might trigger a keyword so you know if that keyword comes up on a card play you know any avengers here are one less to put out or whatever you know so that's great well this one says cartoon i haven't seen cartoon in a in, in any of these so far leading up to it which makes me wonder are they planning to put more cartoon cards out with that cartoon trait and if this is the case, I hope not. Because here's the other part that I don't like and uh, that I don't like particularly is that there's five cards in the Spider-Ham deck that when you have a card, the mechanics, you know, it's like, okay, do this and remove a threat or do this and inflict damage. But you have where, okay, read the flavor text and then thwart one damage or, or one threat from this scheme. And it's like the flavor text is, is you're going to repeat it out loud. Bow, Pam, Thwip, whatever. And, you know, kind of that, you know, can't be Batman, you know, those words that are showing up on the screen, the sound effect words. I'm not going to say that. Another card that says, stick your tongue out at the villain. I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know, wiggle your body and, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, ignore three damage or whatever. I'm not going to do that, you know. And it's just, it's like going back to what I was talking about with Anomia. The fact that there's games that try to force it to be fun. By doing this stuff, that's like, really, do I have to do that? Why can't I just enjoy the game? Um, where Anomia just allows the, the generic fun to happen, that organic fun to happen. This falls short for me. And when I compare this with all the other heroes, now there's some good cards that are on here as well that I will go ahead and incorporate in, the, in, in other decks. But this hero pack to me fell very short. And uh, I am not really going to play it. I bought it because I'm a completionist as far as this game goes. But... I'm not going to uh, to be playing it. Just looking through the cards, I'm like, yeah, not going to happen. Now I'm going to take value from what I have and incorporate that in other decks. But Spider-Ham, to me, is just going to get tucked in the back of, of all the cards and, and never touched and probably never mentioned again unless I'm drawing reference to something. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, everything else that I've had thus far and really looking forward to the X-Men uh, as we get into Mutant Genesis and Cyclops and, and Jean Grey the Phoenix and Wolverine. That's going to be good stuff. But again, still play Valkyrie, uh, still play uh, Thor, still play uh, Captain America, Hulk, all these other great uh, ones that we have, Hawkeye and Black Widow that we've got so far. So still love the game. Still one of my all-time favorites. Spider-Ham to me is a flop and therefore becomes Frenchie's Stinker of the Week. So I'm going to go over the star of the week right now. And the star of the week is actually a game that uh, has been requested for me to bring to my game group quite often. And again, it came out in 2020 by IV Games. 
and a game that actually just completed a Kickstarter for some expansions, and that is Moonrakers. So Moonrakers is a deck-building game uh, set in space. We were trying to escape uh, a lot of the political uh, stuff that went on on the Earth and trying to colonize and, and go into moons and try to stay outside of uh, the purview of what's going on on Earth. And so what you're trying to do is you are you have a deck of cards that you will be building and play in a traditional deck building fashion. And uh, each player is going to uh, try to be in a race to get 10 prestige points, so 10 victory points, so to speak. And you're going to get these points by really fulfilling contracts. So as each player has a turn, you're going to be a mission leader. And you are going to uh, go, okay, I'm going to go ahead and get this contract. And you take a contract. And those contracts are going to have icons. And you're going to have to complete the contract by playing cards that match the icons. Those icons will be in your hand for the most part and represent the different cards. Now those cards will also have different effects. So you're always going to start off your turn with only one action. Goal is for you to play cards in different combinations, a la Dominion, to get you to draw more cards and play more actions. And so as you do that, you're playing different cards that will allow you to do that, but those cards will also hopefully be played enough where those cards' icons will match the obligation you need to, so you need to play that many icons in order to complete the contract. And so as you complete a contract, you will get a certain amount of prestige points, Zero, one, or two, I think, is the most, maybe three. Um, you have uh, credits, which are coins that you can go ahead and acquire. And it may be a card. That'll be a card just similar to what you have in your in your hand out of the main supply. And then there'll also be hazard dice. And those hazard dice will be rolled. And there could be zero to four hazard dice. And based on how many hazard icons come up is going to be the, uh, the amount of loss you need to mitigate by playing shield cards out of your hand. And so a number of those cards are easily played as one person. Okay, I can get this contract. I've got the cards in my hand. Boom, 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 boom. Complete a contract. Didn't need anybody's help. But the larger cards that are going to have more rewards, allow you to give more cards, uh, also allow you to get more prestige, and also uh, maybe have more hazard, you're not going to be able to necessarily complete by yourself. And so you're going to need to have to ask people to create an alliance with you. And so you can open up to however many players want to join. And so how you create an alliance, you just say, hey, here's this, I'm going to need a little bit of help. And you're kind of generic with what you need, a little, need a little bit more help to inflict damage, need a little bit more help to do that, you need a lot of help in this. And so players will go ahead and they'll say, yeah, I can help you with that or not. Now you can negotiate the rewards of the card. You can say, hey, this one is worth two prestige points. I'll give up a prestige point um, and I'll give you half the credits, but, I'll, but I want to take the card or whatever like that. So you can negotiate the prestige points that are going to be awarded. You can negotiate the uh, the credits, you can negotiate the card draw, you can also negotiate the hazard dice. There's two hazard dice to roll. You need, if you're going to do this, you got to take one, but I'll roll the other one. So you can negotiate those things only. You can't negotiate the things on your board that you have. And so then when that happens, the mission leader can say, okay, now, you know, Joe, you're going to go first, Alex, you're going to go first, whatever, or I'll go first and figure out the term. And people play the cards to do that. And then so as a as a alliance, you and the other players that are that are willing to go to this contract, if you go ahead and meet that, then you'll go ahead and divvy up as agreed upon the, the benefits that you had for the card, score the prestige points. But just because somebody has said, yeah, I'll help you out, does not mean they're bound to that. And they can say, you know what, I'm not playing any cards or sabotage that mission altogether by not playing the cards in the right order or whatever. 
uh, and maybe that strategy is so you don't get additional points or maybe so they can cycle through their cards because they don't have a very good hand of cards. Yeah, I'll do that because I want to get five new cards. So it creates a lot of different gameplay. Now, throughout the game, you're also able to, to acquire crew cards, uh, which will help you with the crew designation on the contracts. Those give you special abilities. You'll have ship cards, which will stay on your player board, which will allow you to uh, be able to have... Um, different abilities on your ship. You also have objective cards, which you can do based on the different contracts and different things. You need to score those immediately when you uh, when you meet those requirements. And if you forget those objective cards, then you just need to fulfill those requirements at another time. So you can't retcon that. So the game works very, very well. I think the game works best at like a higher player count of four or five players. It can work at three players, but it's a game that's requested quite a bit. The production from IV Games is phenomenal. Um, you know, I've got all mine in the sleeves that they asked. I'm, I backed the Kickstarter with the expansions. And it's a, just a fantastic game because there's a negotiation part. There's a deck building part. There's the tension part. They're all working together. And then trying to figure out how to create a deck and engine in your deck and then play the different cards to initiate that. Maybe draw some additional cards. Trash some cards in your hand. Works really, really well. And definitely one of my favorite, probably top five games that came out of 2020. And so that is my star of the week based on the fact that it's highly requested. It's always a good game. The fact that we had a recent successful Kickstarter for the expansions and to allow people to go ahead and buy everything should they need to. So Moonraker is highly recommended by Frenchie. And now let's move on to the biggest thing you've all been waiting for. And that is my weekly top 10 list. Okay, okie dokie. So, Frenchie's weekly top 10 list. Again, a top 10 list that is not really about the top 10 Euro games. This is a top 10 list that's got a humorous component. Uh, you might want to, you might be thinking you'll be the judge of that. No, it is a humorous component. The delivery here, folks, is going to be impeccable. So, if you don't find the humor in it, you're going to have to redefine your definition of what's funny because I'm always going to be on point when it comes to humor. Anyway, so. You know, I didn't go to Gen Con this year uh, just for different reasons and just wasn't able to. Uh, I do plan on going next year. Uh, and one of the things in Gen Con that uh, if you don't go to Gen Con as a gamer, you tend to live vicariously through everybody else in social media. And one of the things you typically do is you typically tend to watch the preview videos from content creators. These are what we're looking for to Gen Con, the biggest releases. You might see some of the video blogs there. But for gamer to gamer, what you're looking at post-Gen Con is what uh, everyone posts afterwards, the Gen Con Hall. And uh, one of the big things, if you've never been to Gen Con, largest game convention in the world, or at least running competition with Essen in Germany. Um, obviously, COVID has taken a little bit of the wind out of the sails with everything. But they had a good 50,000 people there this year. I think in 2019 when I went, it was 80,000. Um, a lot of gaming, a lot of exhibits and everything, but one of the main draws happens to be the exhibition hall where everyone's putting out their latest releases or popular releases. And so there's plenty of opportunity to pick up games and plenty of games, but you are not going to be saving money on these games. I mean, you're going to be paying full retail price. Uh, and so seeing these Gen Con halls, seeing pictures that are posted on all social media of my word, were you able to fit that all in the car? I mean, you know, did your significant other have to take an Uber on the way home or, or what happened here? And, uh, you know, I fell into that a little bit. Now, not nearly to the degree that I see online, 
a fair amount of games that I brought home from my first Gen Con haul. And, uh, you know, exciting games that I played to this day, Lord of the Rings, Journeys of Middle Earth, and Parks, and some great things. But let me tell you something. Going to Gen Con is, you know, you got you to buy the badge, and you get the hotel room, and then feeding and everything, whatever travel arrangements, so there's a cost there. And then you've got the cost of this Gen Con haul. And a lot of people go, man, you could save so much money if you buy it somewhere else or whatever like that, or you buy it from your local game store, or go to an online uh, board game store, whatever like that. You're paying full retail price. And so, yes, a Gen Con haul is expensive. But for those of you who are a little hesitant about that and going, well, I don't want to go to Gen Con because I don't want to spend all that money. I just do want to let you know as a public service announcement, Frenchie's here to tell you that there are some things actually more costly and more expensive in board gaming than the Gen Con haul. And so Frenchie's list for this week are the top 10 board game activities that are more expensive than the Gen Con haul. So, Let's go ahead and get started, shall we? Number 10. Top 10 things, board game related, that are more expensive than your Gen Con haul. Number 10. A tank of gas to haul your Gen Con haul back home. Number 9. The FOMO that makes you back every Kickstarter. Number 8. Paying for every other gamer's trip to Indianapolis. Number seven, buying the IP for Disney's Villainous. Yeah, that's a price tag, isn't it? Number six, how about the shipping costs for your Gen Con haul? Number five, on the top ten, board game activities more expensive than a Gen Con haul. Number five, all the accessories that you're going to buy to bling out your haul. Number four, everybody else's Gen Con haul. Perspectives, everything. Number three, the Marvel Zombies Kickstarter. Number two, Frenchie's 15 years of child support. Okay, not board game related, but man, that was expensive and how many games I couldn't buy because of that. Anyway. And the number one thing in board games that is more expensive than this year's Gen Con haul is your next year's Gen Con haul. All right, friends and gamers, thank you for having me back and uh, looking forward to uh, getting more stuff out. Uh, please, if uh, you have not subscribed to the podcast uh, and you'll find it on different platforms, I'm trying to work on some more avenues for the platform, so go ahead and ask. Uh, I'll also on YouTube, uh, follow me on YouTube. I'll also put links there as well uh, in, the, uh, in the videos. So if you want to follow the podcast, I'll have links there for you to do that as well as different things where you can find me on social media. Anyway, great to be back. And until next time, play nice. Take care.